Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. My goal is just to get them out into as many situations as possible, to be able to bring them into the grouse woods, to be able to have them out Western Montana, Oregon, all these places like different terrains, different species of birds. Why does it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side -side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wooden grain on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. Alright everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. My guest this week is none other than Ben Bredigan of Onyx Hunt. Ben, how you doing today? Man, I am fantastic. I'm, I'm stoked to be talking with you and yeah, life is good, man. Yeah. Well, you know, you got a new puppy, and that, that intrigued me because I have a little bit older of a puppy, I think, than you. But, uh, of course, you know, when you have shared puppies, it's part of the fun of getting a puppy is the daydreaming, what it's going to look like, what it, what we're going to try and build it or mold it into. So, you know, I thought it would be a great time to get you on and chat puppies and, and you yeah. know, other cover dog stuff. I know you've been kind of into that as well this year. Yeah, no, for sure. It's uh... – Man, new puppies are something. Uh, I, I always say that if they weren't so cute, there wouldn't be dogs ever. Because, man, I love it, but what a pain. <laughs> yeah. I was just about to say, how long does the cuteness factor last before it wears off for you? Uh, like instantly. <laughs> if, if it weren't for, like, the early puppy development stuff, uh, which – you know, there's obviously a few people I trust, but you're, you're building that bond. And then, uh, if it weren't for that, I would just get them at like six months old. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to miss out on that stuff. I, I'm right there with you, man. It's puppies are cute. They're funny, but I love it when other people have puppy puppies. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you around six to eight months. That's the sweet spot for me. But to your point, if you, if you miss out on that first, you know, four to six months, mm -hmm. it, you, I'm not going to say that you really missed out on anything, but it is a little different. I'm, I'm a, have you tried getting a started dog as opposed to a puppy? No, I haven't, but I've had enough friends that have done it. And 
really, there's a lot of people that can do it right, but I feel like you miss the the biggest thing is just that bonding, right? Like you, yep. you understand that dog on different levels. You almost, you know, like with all the older dogs, it's like I know exactly what they're going to do before they even do it. Yeah. And so it's just that, that understanding and, and some of their idiosyncrasies. And so, so that's one of the big things where it's like, man, I just, I got to start them from a puppy. Yeah. And there's something to be said for even the training aspect. If any holes develop in the training or you have issues down the road, you know, with all full certainty, how that dog was prepared, the personality traits, the methods, where it could have gone wrong and how to address that. So there's that practicality to, to it as well. Yeah. And if you're going to leave fingerprints, at least they're going to be your fingerprints, right? Yeah. Not somebody else's where you're, you, you, I mean, I know myself as a trainer, I know my shortcomings, I know where I tend to screw up and I've adapted for that versus doing that for somebody else's training style and puppy development. So exactly. Cause that's, you know, I'm lucky enough to field some questions from listeners from time to time and they ask a bunch of questions and it's like just filling in the context. So it's like, well, we kind of need to know where you came from before we can even address where you're at now. And, uh, to your point, you use the, the word, uh, fingerprints. That's been kind of a, it's, it's been reverberating with every trainer I talked to in the past couple months, whether it's like Martha Greenlee or recently I went to the Rick Smith seminar. They talk about leaving mm-hmm. as few fingerprints on the dogs as possible. But to your point, you're going to leave fingerprints somewhere. The question is when and where and how. So, yeah, that's 100% right. So, like, how long have you been doing this? You know, me and you, we, we've kind of circled. We obviously know each other, but we don't really know each other. So how long have you been in the in the Upland space? Um, you know, I, I guess I, I grew up, you know, I grew up hunting birds, have had bird dogs for forever. But really kind of uh, I got back into it. I kind of transitioned over the waterfall side for, for many years. And then about, oh, it had to have been about, Almost about ten years ago, I really started to to get back into to bird hunting uh, a lot more. So, yeah. What what got you back out of the duck blind? You just didn't want to wake up at three a.m. anymore. <laughs> Became a lot of work. So I was living in in Mississippi, and uh, you know, duck hunting was it was great down there. But then you'd have just bad years. Yeah. And there just weren't much for ducks, and it was like, well, heck, I've got adversity adversity dogs. So it'd be like, well. That that coincided with those. There were great bird numbers in Texas, like uh, you know, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and it's like, well, heck, I'm gonna go go out there, or go to Kansas. The bird, the quail numbers were unreal out there. So it's like, ah, we'll go back, go out there, and I just remembered how much fun it was. It was like, heck, I gotta, you know, I'm gonna do this more often. And then you know, a couple years later, that's all I was doing. Yeah. It's it's hard to get me back in a duck blind. I'm not saying it happens a, a couple times every year, but it's hard to get me in the duck blind as opposed to just putting on some boots and, and going for a walk. Yeah, the whole you can do it whenever thing and not have to wake <laughs> up at like three o'clock. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. no, dude, I, I I'm right there with you. So, how many dogs do you have now, and and are they all English pointers, or do you kind of have a mix? I've got about I've got a smattering of different dogs. So. <laughs> I've got five technically. I've got two Drodhars, a Pointer, a Setter, and then a Catahoula. But you do so, have a nice mixture there. <laughs> right? Like, hey, variety is the spice of life. Yeah, no kidding. So so 
uh, I mean, kind of start with the drives or start with each one. Kind of where, how did you land on each breed? Were each one designed for a different purpose, or is it just like I want to try my hand at this and try my hand at that? Yeah. So the the both drots really came out of um, just in a, I mean, finding a dog that is built literally for what they are made for. So at the time, I was hunting ducks upland birds i did a lot of deer hunting so a lot of blood tracking um and that that i mean you couldn't have asked for one dog to do all those things so that's how i landed on the draughts and then i ended up becoming really good friends with the breeder he had another litter and said hey i'll you want another one i'll give one to you and and so that was fun and i was i was really involved in the whole jghv the german testing system um and that was great. I loved it. It was a great group of people. Fit my needs really well. But then, like I said, I kind of transitioned from doing a little bit of everything to strictly focusing on bird hunting. And don't get me wrong. Like, if I'm going to take one dog out in the field and I say, you have to kill something, like, Dry. I'm going to take a German dog out there. But, uh, you know, I, I started to hunt more of the of the, the prairies of the West, your Montanas, et cetera. And few dogs do it well as a purpose-built breed, like a pointer or a setter. Uh, so that's kind of how I transitioned more towards those types of breeds. Um, and, and plus, like, if just as my, you know, my journey, whatever you want to call it, not to, like, get in the weeds. But um, I, just, I just enjoy watching a dog just roll across the prairie or, you know, be able to like, get out there in the grouse woods and it's not so much for me about like just simply killing birds i just i do it for the dog works but if, if i didn't have dogs there's i mean i wouldn't do this i'd pick up i'd start golfing again <laughs> right well yeah. I, I gotta ask being a kind of a fellow hound dog junkie like what what what, what where did the Catahoula come from? Like, what do you do that with the Catahoula? That was my wife. She she does nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Just provides happiness. Yeah, she is the best dog for. I think we got her when she was old, and uh, she's just the best. She's still alive. She's she's got to be like thirteen, fourteen, but just the best dog for somebody that would never want to die. Right? Because lays around, life is good. Uh, but that, that's how that was. Just she's not really a hunting dog, but being out with the other dogs she is i she could be a hell of a hunting dog so right well yeah. uh, you know i i have roots down in louisiana so i got a soft spot for catahoulas and so as soon as you said mm -hmm. that it, it, it spiked an in interest so you, you know to your point the specialty bred dogs you know your pointers and setters it, it's my my puppy i have a setter she's 10 months now and coming from a short hair and a munstie both German dogs and switching over to the mm -hmm. English side of things, it is a little different. And I, I can already tell, I mean, obviously I've been in the field with other English setters and pointers, but when you own one and you're around them 24 seven in the house training and all that, it's a different temperament and they, sure. they even move different. It's like, I almost say that like my setter, she almost moves like feline, like, like she's cat like, she just fluid. And so, you know, talk to me about the transition from your draughts to your setter and now your pointer, what was the divide in, in your training? Was there anything that you had to come at it in a different light or was it just kind of a smooth transition for you? 
Yeah, it was it was a really interesting, yeah, it was a really interesting kind of progression because with the with the drops you were doing everything right, and so I felt like there was a lot more training involved. Well, there was a lot more training because I was I was with a young puppy even I was doing blood tracking, drags, um, water work, pointing work. So it, it was a lot, but and then yeah, doing like fur and feathers and. Yeah, it was is a lot. So then I transitioned to Amos, my my pointer, who's two years old now, and like really, it was I felt like I wasn't doing enough just because I was used to that super high pace. Like, all right, you've got uh, you know, you've got your VJP here at X date, and I was trying, especially with Herb, who's my second draw. I was trying. I VJP'd him at like fifteen or VGP'd him at like fifteen months old. So I was trying to do everything, and um, yeah, with a with a pointer, it was like I don't know. I mean, I know what to do, but like it doesn't feel like I'm doing very much. Right. Really, it was just exposure and giving them confidence, and obviously some obedience stuff, but not not nearly the level that I was doing with the the draught. So. Um, so it, it was just kind of like a shock, like, man, I feel like I'm not doing anything here. But the the thing is I started to see is is obviously with the German dogs, like the, the prey drive is absolutely ridiculous, right? Like there was never any question in my mind, like these dogs are fine. Like they come out of the box ready to want to kill. <laughs> right. Most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time. Um, and it was funny, like just, just through the process, like um, – learning what motivates each dog where some of my, you know, like the training tactics didn't work as well with, with Amos, my pointer, just because like, Hey, I didn't want to put, I didn't want birds to ever get in his mouth past like when he was a puppy, but like his motivation was simply to find birds, not to kill them, not to maul them, retrieve them, whatever. Yeah. So like, it was that was a bit of a, a transition and then really like it, for me it was just what i've what i've seen is just more exposure with him like my goal is just to get him out into as many situations as possible and granted that's not a whole lot different but to be able to bring him into the grouse woods to be able to have him out western montana oregon all these places like different terrains different species of birds um so for him to kind of put those pieces together early on and then now that i'm you know i i had them broke last year but now it's when for me is like when the training really starts is it's just really refining that one thing they have to do what like rick smith says they have to do they have to do three things go with you stay go with you come back to you and stand still right yeah yep. so now and like that's that that's exactly right and i mean a lot of stuff i'm mirroring your your sentiment right there to where it's just like on a day-to-day basis i'm like you i I feel like i'm not doing enough with her because i'm used to it's not i didn't even do the draught or the german testing system but with the german dogs and and trying to build a ton of retrieve and duck search and and tracking and, and all this stuff it's like every day it was something different and then with this one it's just temperament's a little different like quinn's yeah. interesting she has a bunch of retrieve drive inside the house the second she crosses that 
exterior threshold and she goes outside, she has one thing on her brain and that's to go find birds. That's it. Yeah. She doesn't care. And I, you know, there's a retrieve drive somewhere deep in her. I'm going to worry about that later. But for now yeah. it's like, I, I have one thing to worry about. It's kind of nice. It kind of simplifies the whole process for you. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, I just want you to be good at one thing. Yeah. That's it. Go find birds, stand there. And then, you know, we'll put a retrieve on you later. So yeah. uh, how about Amos? Was he, does he have any retrieve? Have you force fetched him or any desire to? Nope. I have zero desire to do, uh, you know, and I, you, I could like, he's got in the yard, he'll, he'll retrieve and whether this is right or wrong, like my philosophy is I don't, you know, eventually they'll, they'll understand, they understand the difference, but like for field trialing, I don't want any extra temptation. Um, so when I'm hunting, like I shoot, I don't want him to have any association with, I shoot bird goes down, you go get it. Like in his mind, there should be one thing and that's, Bird, you stand still, bird goes up, shoot it. You stand still until I let you go. You go find another one. I don't want to, I don't want to put any other responsibilities on them. And I know that a lot of people, and I've hunted with a lot of people that their dogs successfully do both. Um, but I've seen it come back and kind of bite some people too, um, transitioning because transitioning between trialing and hunting, because first and foremost, I'm a hunter and because of that, I like to field trial. So, yeah. And let's jump on into the field trial lane because this is something that I, I'm kind of dipping my toe in. I haven't even competed yet, but I have an interest and I'm trying to learn more about the whole process. What type of trialing have you primarily done? I know this spring you did a little bit of cover dog trials, which I really want to mm-hmm. pick your brain on because I know next to nothing on that. But have you kind of experimented with a, a set of different types of trials or have you just focused on the cover dog trials? Yeah. So I have done a, a little bit, a little bit. And like I say, I'm not, I've only been trialing dogs like through American field for three, two, three years now, three. Yeah. Something like that. So I'm, I mean, I'm still pretty new to it, but primarily um, I'm running cover dogs. And then this, this spring I ran uh, NBHA trials, which is, you know, walking planted bird. Mm-hmm. And then also this spring I experimented with some horseback stuff. And I went down and watched, watched the national championship down at Ames. And um, the pointer of mine, he's got the run to do it. And so I was like, well, what the hell? It's, I, my goal is, is I wanted to run one horseback trial this spring and, and did that. And it was it was cool. There's, there's pluses and minuses to each one. And I just wanted to kind of just see them all and see which one I liked the best. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, how do you know which one you prefer if you don't try all of them? Right. That, that's kind of my viewpoint. The, the issue with me is it's going to be tough to get me up on a horse. I, I would like, I would <laughs> like to have the experience afterwards, like post trial. It's like, Oh man, that was cool. That was an experience. Yeah. But me, I don't, I don't hate horses, but I, I just, I don't prefer them. <laughs> They're yeah. just not my thing. Right. <laughs> well, I think horses are like cats. Like you just, you can <laughs> never trust them. Right. It's just like, you know, oh, this is the greatest horse ever. And then that horse throws somebody off and it's that like, one mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a dog, you know, if a dog just gets full of it and all of a sudden decides like, you know, nope, I'm not having it. It's even the biggest, like the drought. It's just like, you know what? I, I still got some size and strength on you. Yeah. 
a horse, they decide that I'm not having it, you know, it's just, I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah. The, the repercussions of, of a horse versus dog are, are much larger. So. Yeah. So how, how did yeah. that horseback trial work out for you? Was it at least just fun, like kind of weigh it compared to the other ones? Is it up at the top as far as an experience for you? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really cool. It was uh, in Southeast North Dakota and a bunch of us cover dog folks went over there because um, they had some walking stakes in it as well. Uh, but some of the guys here were super generous. It was the Northwest Field Trial Club and they just said, yeah, come on out. Like we'll have horses if you guys want to ride and if you want to handle dogs. And so they were super good about it. And first thing you show up and it's like, man, this is a different league because it's, it's 3,500s and 40 foot, 50 foot horse trailers. And each person has 10 dogs and it's like, Whoa, I mean, it's, so it's just like a different level of commitment, but, um, it was super, the, the trial was great. Um, it's a cool, that, at least that place is a very cool area. Um, and I mean, if I had a pile of money, I'd do it all right. Like right. I would, I'd run cover dog, I'd run horseback, I'd run, should I'd run coon dog stuff, but <laughs> you know, you, there's only so much you can do. So, um, well, it's not just yeah, the money, I mean, it's the time as well. Yeah. Well, if you got enough money, then like you don't have the whole J O B deal. You know, so. that that's a fair point. Yeah. That that's a fair point. So it, I mean, we're going to jump into cover dog trials, but have you been to a coon dog trial? Have you done any of PKC or anything like that? No, I haven't, but I've had a number of invites and, and one of these days I've got to do it because everyone says it's like, yeah, it's legit. Yeah. I, I went and saw one last year in Illinois and, uh, walked along a brace and the different level dogs, man, different houndsmen yeah. are a different breed of people uh, overall. Yes. So, you know, it's like, you got to have change your mindset when you're around those guys that those guys are just go get it there. There's no stop or take a break kind of gene in them. Yeah. I had a buddy down in Alabama. His name was crazy Wayne and he was a, he was a coon hunter and like some of the stories, it was, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, you know, it was like, Holy shit, man. Like you are insane. Like, you are a whole <laughs> than I am. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I have to take off my Sperry's for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So the cover dog trials, man. Like, walk me through the setup of a cover dog trial. You know, everybody listening to this are probably familiar to some extent with your your horseback and even walking mm-hmm. trials. Those are a little more common, but the cover dog trials really appeal to me just because, from my understanding, they're all wild birds. And what's a better testament to your dog's hunting capability than a trial that's run on actual wild birds? So kind of describe the makeup for it and if, if I was accurate or not in that description. Yep, 100%. I mean, that is, the in my mind, the biggest differentiator. And, and with, with the nature of grouse and woodcock in the woods, is it's going to obviously be a completely different setting versus – your horseback, a lot of the times it's either single course or continuous course on planted birds. And granted, there are some, you know, there's obviously like the, um, you know, like the North Country, which is ran on Sharpies. You've got the Chicken Championship over in Buena Vista in Wisconsin. And there's there's a number of other wild bird trials. Um, but nowadays, they're fewer and fewer, and you're starting to see more planted birds 
Um, but like you said, like if, if our goal is developing a wild bird dog, then you got to run them on wild birds. And, you know, you might get some flack for this, but even watching some of those dogs that were, they weren't, they were trial dogs and they were really good at what they did, but they, it was like almost, I mean, it's like if you grew up doing one thing over and over, like you're going to be really good at it. So mm -hmm. it was like a lot of these dogs are, they're all, I don't know if they're almost, it's like they're almost trained to run to areas that people are going to plant birds. Yeah. Oh, where, you, you go to enough of them, you'll watch them to where if it's a field planted with a four-wheeler, they know to follow the four-wheeler scent. You know, that they, mm -hmm. they pick up the game. It becomes a game yeah. to them ultimately. Yeah, it was like the when I ran, I ran an NBHA trial, which is walking but on planted birds. And we were in southern Wisconsin. And it was a great, great trial set up. And it was pretty much, imagine like a big oak leaf on top of this hill. It fell off into like fingers of, of oak timber and and the field was up on the top. And, you know, you watch, I watched a couple of these braces and the dogs were just running edges. And I was like, well, shit, this isn't going to work. My dog is not, you know, he probably won't run edges. He's probably going to go dive in. And, <laughs> um, and so he did, he made a few like just really big casts, had made a couple big pulls on them. And then he would go and work in the timber, and sure enough, he found a damn woodcock. <laughs> Didn't find any planted quail. He'd never seen a planted quail in his life. Finds a woodcock, though. So I thought that was kind of funny. Like that, like we said, like that's what he knows. He knows wild birds. How to find grouse and woodcock and wild birds. So, um, anyways, back to the, the cover dog stuff. Um, yeah, that, it's, it's the real deal. It's as real as you're going to get to hunting and still in a trial setting. Um, so if, if people listening aren't familiar, like you said, it's on wild birds. Normally uh, what you'll have is anywhere from probably four to, I don't know, four to 10, four to 12 courses. Like you get out in Michigan, uh, there's a place called Gladwin that is a dedicated field trial area. Um, they've got a big continuous course. I don't remember how many they have there, but anyways, uh, you're going to run on these designated courses just like you would in a regular field trial in a brace. Um, but uh, obviously each course, each course is going to be different. There's not, I didn't plant six gross on this one, six on this one, six on this one. So uh, there is a little luck of the draw. Thankfully we have a lot of good courses around here where a dog could really theoretically win on any course um, there's some trial grounds where it's like you better draw this course at this time of day or else you don't have a chance of winning um, because, yeah, and it's depending on what judges you have because obviously fines are going to – fines in the shooting dog are going to win you championships, are going to get placements, but seen a lot of dogs that have runs that are not great you know, they're well for one reason or other and they find a lot of birds and they still don't win. So it's, yeah, it's, it's about the run and bird finding ability of the dog. So, so I, I know you're not a judge and so you probably don't have the entire rule book memorized or anything, but describe the point system. Like how do you win one of these? You said there's a judge, are they there just to kind of make sure that you're following the rules or are they there kind of just, accruing the points and saying you know okay that's a fine there that whatever kind of kind of walk me through that if you can 
Yeah, so, so judging, I've only done a little bit of it. Um, it's very subjective. And granted, you get, for the most part, a lot of judges are on the same page. So uh, it, it's they're not only there to enforce the rules, but they are there to pick, you know, first, second, third, and place your dog. So, and, and there's not like a, your dog does this, they get three points. It's not a, necessarily a point-based system. It's you're walking behind the handlers and all right, well, dang, that, that dog's moving out front 10 to 2 o'clock, hitting the right cover. Say there's a big swamp edge. Um, that dog takes that that line. It's hunting in likely cover. Uh, that's that's going to say a lot. Um, little things like even range. Some This is kind of where it get, can get subjective, but some guys like tighter dogs. Um, I like a dog that's going to get me excited, right? A dog that's that is hanging out on the yellow edge of bell range. So anywhere from a hundred to 200 yards, Mm -hmm. but Hey, if I make that left-hand turn in the woods, that dog is going to end up moving its way to the front of me. Yeah. So, and then, and then obviously fines are great. That that's gonna, that's gonna help for, uh, either for shooting dogs, derbies, whatever. But um, it, it's honestly kind of nice judging like like a shooting dog because the dogs are going to kind of weed themselves out. Yeah. So it's more cut and dry. Um, this dog had two fines, ran a nice race, and was broke on all his bird work where you'll get, I don't know, quarter of the field, half quarter of the dogs, half the dogs that have bird work are maybe going to make a mistake and then it's easy. You, they're, they're picked up. So you're not going to be able, you're not going to use those dogs. Uh, we're, you know, judging a derby is a way more subjective because you're judging off of potential to be a good shooting dog. So, um, and then, and then, so in terms of like in a judge's mind, what they do is they start the first brace and they say, all right, this is my number one dog. This is my number two dog. They go into the second brace well, this dog was clearly better than those two. And then, so the, you're just kind of carrying dogs throughout the, throughout the judging process. And that's kind of how they, they come up with the placements. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the, the fines are important, but how they actually work the cover and hunt with you, what we preach about all the time that we actually want in a dog. I mean, we, the, the name of the game is actually finding a bird, whether you're hunting or this, but when you're dealing with wild birds, that's not always the case. Just like we go out hunting and sometimes don't find a bird. I, I was talking to a buddy the other day and I told him, I was like, man, I'm excited. I get to talk cover dog trials. I haven't talked about that yet. And he was like, well, what's that? And I told him wild bird trials. And he was like, well, I mean, how do you, how do you grade a dog with, if they don't find birds? I'm like, that's the point. Like it's, it, it's not always going to have a bird, but the dog should still hunt and show that they they have a certain talent. So especially with the brace to brace, I mean, you, you run a course with a set of dogs, the next set, they're probably not going to be able to find the same bird in the same area. You know, the pressure is probably going to drive them out. So like each brace is going to be completely different, even on the same course. Yeah, and, and the nice thing about it is, like, so we'll run, or like, you take in the fall, for example, a, a championship. You're going to run six braces a day over six courses. So that means a lot of the times that a course has 24 hours to rest before it's ran again. 
So you're gonna you're run course you know course one two three four five six and then the next morning start over on one. Okay. But at least those the birds have a little time to, you know, recuperate. They're not like just because if Getting you would hammered. run, yeah. I mean, if you'd run eighteen braces on one course, like by the time you get to eighteen, like that bird's in man, the next it, county. <laughs> yeah, that dog finds something, then good on them. So. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's part of the lure. It's you got to have a a good dog, and and it's been proven time and a time time and time again. Like the good dogs, like they almost just produce. They they're gonna produce birds, right? Yeah. It's like you take uh, you know there there's a couple like you take a Ponderosa Mac, who is probably the most winning cover dog in history, uh, or, or Rufus Del Fuego. And you take those dogs and you put them on the worst course in the worst conditions and they'll come up with a bird. Really? Yeah. It's, 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 it's pretty incredible. So I think, like I said before, like, especially our courses over here in Minnesota, Wisconsin, even Michigan, like a dog can almost win on any course, any time of the day. I think that's a testament to, to our bird numbers. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point to where I'm curious, obviously, if I come up and compete in a cover dog trial, I'm kind of, the handicap is against me, right? You know, where I live, there's not that many rough grouse. You know, I have one dog, Rachel, particularly, she's a bird dog. Like you put her on the ground, if there's birds in there, Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable saying she's going to find it. But as competitive against another dog that lives within bird country, like I kind of know my odds going into the to where like if I'm trying to be actually competitive or actually try to win, like you got to mm-hmm. have a hell of a run because the the odds are stacked against somebody that doesn't necessarily live in bird country. Are you aware of somebody that travels from afar that is an actual competitor in, in that field, or is it generally people that live within the area that get enough runs in actual hunting season to groom their dog? That's a good, that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone that comes from like completely outside of grouse country. Uh, and and I'm, I'm, I know there have been people that have come up, but you, you take a lot of these guys on the East coast, right? Out of Pennsylvania, New York, and they'll come over here in the fall and they'll win championships with their dogs. And, you look at our bird numbers over here and it absolutely blows them out of the water. Like over here, like if I'm not, if you're not moving 40 birds a day, it's like, man, this is a slow day. Good and Lord. they might only be moving a dozen birds a day. So you would think that with our dogs, with that many contacts that it's like, man, they just, they, they are on a different level, but that isn't that isn't necessarily the case because those guys will come over and granted they I mean they do a lot of work a lot of my pros but there's some amateurs that come over here and and do well as too with living in not great bird country so yeah well um, it's kind of back to the old saying birds make a bird dog really people need to keep keep 
add a few more words to that to where quality birds mm-hmm. make a quality bird dog. So like quality contacts, you can have somebody that gets maybe half the bird contacts throughout the year, mm-hmm. but you as the handler or trainer, how you handle that with your dog. And then obviously the genetic aspect of it to where there are some dogs that just come out of the womb to where it's just like they, they're put on this earth for one reason and that's to mm-hmm. find birds. And those, those are the dogs when you when you get to witness them, I've only seen a couple of them that just truly stand out. They just set your teeth on fire. It's just like okay, mm-hmm. we're we're playing with a different ball game here. They're just a different caliber of dogs, and I love my dogs. Don't get me wrong, you know, especially Rachel. She's been there, done that for me. But when you see those dogs in action, it really puts it into perspective of what a bird dog really could be. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because. I've heard it from a number of people. I can't say I've necessarily seen it firsthand. Cause I'm, I mean, I'm not that old. I haven't been around that long, but a lot of people say that bird, like true bird finding bird dogs are going away. Mm-hmm. Like they are fewer and far between every single year. And, you know, if somebody pops up and says, my dog is an absolute bird finder. And then you, it's all about perspective because then you see another dog. It's like, this dog is a bird finder. And it's like, oh my gosh, this, this animal is on a way different level. And you compare that to 30 years ago when you got a bunch of bird finders. Right. And I've got a theory on why that is, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's changing. I was just about to ask, what, do you have a theory? Cause I, I have my own theories as well. So, I mean, if you want to jump in on that, by all means. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the, the main one is, like you said, it takes wild birds to make wild bird dogs. There's simply less wild bird available, especially when you look across the south and guys had strings of 40, 50 dogs. And guess what? If you got 40 or 50 dogs, maybe only the top one or two dogs are going to make it. Those are the ones that are going to be breeding. And... I mean, you're carrying on that bird finding gene, if you will, where now it's more transitioned into, you know, I've got one or two dogs and we love our dogs, but we are, you know, we're a little blind just because we love our dogs. Right. So it's like, oh, this dog is great. But man, when you go out and see other dogs, it's like, oh, shoot, mine's, I mean, I still love you, but. (laughs) you're not as good as you're not as good as these ones yeah and so i think people are breeding dogs that they have no business dogs that have no business being bred yeah and you're starting to you're you're losing it so i mean that's i honestly think that's that's why a hundred percent i agree with that personally myself and and i was actually just talking about this earlier with a buddy it's like to your point, not not only has the opportunity to get these dogs on birds, particularly, especially, you know, each region is different in, in how far it's kind of dropped, the southeast being a big example of bobwhite quail or, you know, good luck finding some on public land in a lot of these states where they used mm-hmm. to be the state game bird of Tennessee. Good luck finding them on a huntable track of land. And then... Yeah rough grouse are where they are i mean people used to stack rough grouse on tailgates back in the 80s and 90s like it was michigan and wisconsin then west nile hits and then you know habitat goes away so people stop cutting trees west nile you know fill in the blanks all that stuff 
So not only the opportunity has gone away, but then to your point, we move the dogs into where they're parts of the family. And and I'm, my dogs are a part of my family. Like they, I love them. I mean, it's, it is what it is, but people no longer breed to better the actual breed overall or create the better hunting dog. They're breeding because I want to, I want a kid from my kid, they, you know, yeah, and exactly for better or worse, you know, somebody listening to this may not appreciate that, but, but it's kind of true. You know, how many people do we know that do this, that they may test, they may trial, but they don't wild bird hunt and you're not going to get a wild bird dog without wild bird hunting. It's, it's as simple as that. Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and so that's kind of, it, it comes back to the cover dog aspect because now, you know, I hunt with a fair amount of people, but still you don't know what you don't know. So it's nice to come into this cover dog scene and at least you have some sort of standard that you can look at and, and rank dogs, right? Versus uh, George across the street over here, he's got a really nice setter. I went, he says he shoots a lot of birds. He says he's the best dog ever, but you know, then you go to a trial where you can see them run. You can see a bunch of different dogs together. It's like, wow, George, your dog kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're, it is not the best bird dog ever. And yeah. and yeah, it's like I even I mean my dogs like I yeah I mean I, do I, they're not God's gift to bird hunting at all, right? Like you just have to be if you're and I'm not in the business of breeding dogs. I'm I don't even know if I I mean maybe I breed them, but. Like I would go it in, into it eyes wide open with their faults because at the end of the day, like that's what I'm looking. I'm looking for a better bird dog. I don't necessarily want, you know, uh, the son of a son. I just want, I hope in, in 20, 30 years that we can still have the same caliber of dogs as we do now. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's strange in the day and age that we live in with technology and software and genetic testing and, and all this stuff. It's kind of like we have more tools at our disposal to selectively breed for better dogs, but the proving grounds are different. The opportunities are different. Mm -hmm. And to your point, you know, I get, I get people that give me feedback on the show more often about like they're upset about me, quote unquote, bashing my dogs than you know the alternative and it's i want them to understand i'm not bashing my dog you know i love my dogs they're here they're gonna live a full happy life and get all the opportunities but if you're gonna hold a gun to my head and tell me or or make me admit like try and claim that my dog's the best out there i'm not doing it it's just it's not even realistic for me to expect my dogs to compete against other dogs that live in the north woods on grouse it's just, and then each individual dog is different. You know, my Muncie has completely different strengths than my short hair and I'm, I'm still learning my setter, but that goes into knowing your dog and, and just getting out there and, and watching them in action. Yeah. And, and this might be a divisive statement, but it's like when you said that, like, you know, if somebody's listening here and they think they have, they're like, I have the best so-and-so dog. It's like, sorry, you don't like there is <laughs> like, there are, yeah, there's so many dogs out there. And just by simply like the odds is no, you do not have the best dog. Yeah. Well, and I tell everybody the word best, there is only one best. 
So like you can sit there and say you have a great dog and that that's yeah. kind of how I try and phrase it is mm-hmm. depending on the task and depending on the conditions and birds, like each one of my dogs are a great dog in what they do good, but mm-hmm. they're not the best at any one thing. And you know, it might be the best dog for you or for someone yes, in their living conditions, yeah. but yeah. you know, stop. I, I nothing turns me off faster in the dog world than a bunch of guys talking around a campfire like my dog's better than yours. It's like I don't I, I get so bored with that conversation. It's funny and you know it, it was at at one point, but I'm like guys, to your point, what you keep saying like the trials, there's a proving ground for it. You don't have to talk, just go do it. And, and that's the thing. Like you see way less of that around with the trial crowd because it's like, all right, dude, like nobody like very few people brag on their dogs because it's like we're gonna we find run, out tomorrow we can run a trial next weekend and it's like you i mean you can put your foot in your mouth nine out of ten times right yeah and and now i'm interested in competing i'm interested in testing it out but it's like me being around a, a number of tests rather than trials i've participated in tests you know, people want to knock trials or competitive people for whatever that's worth. But at the same time, I, I would say that the the average trial scene or the community there, they're a little bit more humble than the testing community, right? Because the testing community is like they're going against the standard. With the trials, you're going against other people. And a lot of things can go a lot of different ways in that scenario. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, cause I was involved in the, the whole drought thing, the JGHV and, and yeah, it's against a standard, but I, don't know, I mean, everyone's competing. Like right? it's turned into, <laughs> turned into dog games. Like it's kind of lost the, lost the, their way a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. It's reading. It's yeah. It's a, it's a game. Like there's people that just is no different than field trials. It's a race to the finish line now. Yep. Like I want the most points. Like I got a, you know, blah, 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 prize one. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. It's so that's, that's and, the whole thing. And don't, don't get me wrong. More power to you. Like go, yeah. go race it. If you want to do that with your dog, just be honest about it. Like don't, yeah. you know, that that's my only thing is don't say one thing and do another. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong. I love the, the testing community as much as the next person yeah. too, but there is a lot of people to where it's just like, you know, just be honest, just be open yeah. and honest with what, what it is that you're actually after in it. That's, that's all I ask. A hundred percent. And that, that's the nice thing with the field trials. It's like, I don't, you don't have to sugarcoat it because everyone's there. I mean, yeah, there's ulterior motive, but I, I mean, everyone there, like they want to come home with a ribbon, right? Yeah. They want to place it. Like there's no... There's no beating around the bush. It's yeah. like that's why everyone is there. So so back to the the actual trial itself. When you talk about a shooting dog brace, what are the requirements other than, you know, the intangibles of or the subjective uh, pieces on how the dog works cover, how it works with you? Are there steadiness requirements? You know, walk me through a, a contact or a sequence of a dog actually getting judged on a bird. Yeah, so... You know, it, it's broken down. Uh, a shooting dog, yeah, shooting dog is essentially a standard. It's it's how they run, how they work birds. Whereas a derby is under two, two and a half years old, and that is potential. But the shooting dog, yeah, it's um, they're required to run a 
in terms of race, like it's supposed to, it's going to be a lot more fluid, right? It's going to be less hacking on the dog. Uh, that dog is going to be tighter in terms of staying out in front of you, um, less yo-yoing. And then when it comes to the bird work, it's, it's expected to have, you know, broke, broke bird work. So that means dog goes on point, bell stops. It could be 200, 100 yards, 150 yards in the woods. And you as a scout, you've got a scout. And then as a handler, you're like, I think that dog is 100 yards that way. And you got to go walk out in the woods and find that dog. That dog is expected to stand there. Um, you know, now if it, if it, if you're still 50 yards away and you can't see him and all of a sudden he goes on, nobody hears a bird. It's like, well, who knows what happens, right? But that you're supposed to, the way it should go is you walk up to that dog, dog is standing there. You go make a flushing into attempt in front of that dog. Bird goes up. Dog just, I mean, four feet on the ground, shoot the gun. Dog is standing there you know, go grab the dog and, and send him on his way. But there's just, uh, you know, Amos is, he'll be a first year shooting dog this fall. And I've walked a lot of braces, but it's like, it's just a different, a different level of, of expectation. Uh, they are required to back. So if there's a backing opportunity and they're not, there isn't always a backing opportunity, but um, dog is required to back. Um, like little things, like say you get a grouse, I mean, at a hundred yards, dog goes on point and that a lot of times those girls are just going to keep running right and so that's for a dog just to stand there until or or yeah to stand there or to relocate and not push the bird but for example like you know a dog goes on point you walk out in front of them and make a flushing attempt and that dog breaks to go relocate and you're picking that dog up hmm so like it's just in the again it's a game right so there are some like arbitrary rules like that yeah where it's like mm, does it really matter no probably not but there's got to be some sort of rules true you got to draw the line somewhere yeah and you know dog has is required to stop to flush but the interesting thing about the woods is it's 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 cool because again yeah it's wild birds but it's a it's a bit like the wild west just because you can't always see everything a lot. So much of it is you're listening for that bell. That's that's you don't always know what's happening. That's kind of what I was about to say is I'm picturing the grouse woods and hunting and being a judge and having to make calls and judge certain things. I mean, people want to talk about some people have issues or, or challenges, I should say, training their dog to back in a wide open field. Backing mm-hmm. in the grouse woods is completely different for dogs. Like they're, they're, it's so tight and then stop to flush. Like half the time you, you hear the bird flush and you don't know yeah. if the dog busted it or if it flushed and then the dog stopped. Like you, you don't know. Saw it and didn't, yeah. didn't hear it, didn't see it. Like, right. So, so what's, yeah, does it come kind of come back to that old rule? Like if you don't see it, you can't judge it type of thing to where the judge is just like, Hey, you know, it may have happened. It may have happened to something else, but you know, yep. you're, you probably have some people that come out pretty hot headed in some instances with a judge afterwards, but that's going to be part of the game. I mean, that's just part of it. Yeah. And in that situation, more, you know, a lot of the judges, I mean, they should give the dog the benefit of the doubt, right? Because unless you saw it, 
then you don't know what happened. True. And and that yeah, that's a that's a big part of it. And at the end of the day, like if a dog does something egregious and you think you know what happened, and then maybe the dog later on proves it, it's always better to leave a dog on the ground because at the end of the day, you don't have to use that dog. You could just, you know, say like, ah, man, I think this happened. Run was okay, but there are three better dogs that we'll end up using. So, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And so, I mean, is it just like a trial to trial thing? Like you want a trial or is there a point system that like there's a national invite or anything like that as far as cover dogs? Like, is there an, an actual like championship that goes on a pedigree at the end of this? Yeah. So, so every trial is, is trial to trial, but, um, each, and this is, I think I've got this right, but each club gets like one or two points trials. I think it's two points trials. So where like you take Minnesota, our club, for example, um, our, we have a fall championship and that is a trials, that is a points trial. So first place dog gets the number of entries or the number of dogs that run times three points. Okay. These are called Purina points. Um, second place dog gets entries time two, times two, uh, and then third place times one. That's cool. And yeah, so you know, bigger trial. Obviously, the stakes are higher, but there's also more dogs to beat. Right. So then, at the end of the year, you know, the, I, I can't remember how many dogs it is, but uh, they've got the the Grand National that is out in out east actually i take that back it kind of travels it's it'll it's coming this way here in 2025 i think Mm -hmm. but anyway so that's that's where the the top x amount of dogs get invited to run in the national championship cool so you you have obviously a lot of these trials are in the fall like you're talking about Mm -hmm. uh but you also have a spring season right so is there any difference in how those go or is it just kind of weather permitting you just run as long as you can? Um, yeah. So, so the spring trials are, yeah, it's interesting, especially when we're up here, um, just because we have snow and we get Minnesota, all States are different. Minnesota, we get till April 15th to run on wild birds before the nesting season closes. So like this year was awful because by April 15th, our grounds were still, under a foot and a half of snow. So we actually moved ours to Wisconsin uh, to their grounds and we were able to run our trial and Wisconsin had the next weekend. So we we're going to go back and run at the same grounds, but then they had a flood. <laughs> go figure. In, the, in that same trial ground. So it's just like, man, they had 22 inches of snow the Sunday, the Sunday we left. And then they were supposed to run the trial starting Thursday or Friday. But, um, yeah, so so the spring is kind of a crapshoot. It's still there's still points trials, but really it's a lot of people. It's it's a, it's personally some of my favorite ones because there's no hunting season yeah. going on. Well, turkey hunting, but there's no no bird hunting seasons to speak of. You've just been cooped up for four months, especially up here or in in grouse country, and then yeah, you get to go go meet up with all your buddies and run dogs. And, and then you get the woodcock flight that comes down. So, yeah, uh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, we talk about extending your season. That's truly extending your, your actual hunting season. I was just about to ask, how do you, how do you weigh the opportunities to go hunt versus trial in the fall? Is there, 
it, do you just kind of always pick hunting over trialing in the fall and just wait for spring or do you just kind of, I don't know, pick, pick yeah. random ones? Well, so, so in our region, like again, from Minnesota, and Wisconsin, we have, uh, well, we've got three clubs, the, uh, Minnesota gross dog association, uh, the Chippewa Valley gross dog association, and then the Moose river gross dog. So two in Wisconsin, uh, Two in Wisconsin, one in Minnesota. And so in the fall, each one of them will have a trial. Uh, there might be, I think Chippewa might have two. But anyways, um, so they're all packed within two weeks. So like the first two weeks of October, there'll be four trials. And the nice thing is like, you know, I'll go there and and you know, watch dogs. It's people I like to hang around with. And, and I get, a, I mean, I hunt plenty, so I'm not that hard up for it yeah. but the nice thing is you've got if you've got one dog or two dogs the most you're running is 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 one hour a trial or two hours a trial if you have two dogs so and again these these places are in the middle of wild bird country and they're ran on public land for the so most so you can part. just shoot so, on down the road and and hunt yeah, the same day exactly and a lot of people don't a lot of people like i say are in it for the game which is fine yeah um but yeah, it's like I'll if I got to run on Sunday, then yeah, I'll go hunt Friday, Saturday. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. It's it's really piquing my interest. I'm gonna have to check that out at some point, maybe maybe this year, next spring, or something like that. But as as we kind of start wrapping this up, I got to know. You know, it, it seemed like you had had a pretty epic hunting season last year just judging from social media you're kind of all over the place i i went in a lot of places but you you stayed gone it seemed like so how how far are you into the slam have you have you completed the slam yet no not not the north america yet i mean i still have there's still some weird stuff like i don't know i'll have to to look it up and i i don't consider like you're not after chasing I that. Like some of them, like I don't consider some birds to even be a part of it. It's like this isn't really an upland bird. Like this is like the well, Himalayan snowcock. Like, yeah, that's stupid. That and then some people even include the uh, the turkey species in, in the yeah. slam too. So, but yeah, what, what I'm getting to is like what what plans do you have to chase this year, and how are you balancing that with getting a puppy on it? Like, are you just gonna take the puppy into some haunts and, and covers that you're familiar with, or are you going to take them on the road and go do all the random stuff with it as well? Oh yeah. I'm going to, you know, I think that's, yeah, I'm not, that dog will go everywhere and hunt everything that I hunt. Um, less, I try not to hunt young dogs on pheasants. Cause I think that, I mean, I've, I've got my opinions on pheasants, but like, I just don't, I personally don't like to run them on, on pheasants. Cause I, I think it, it can be counterproductive right. in a lot of cases. Is that, um, is that due to the running and the cover like cattails or, or because other birds run like, you know, I know you did the desert quail last year and then yeah. of course grouse run too. Is it just how pheasants run within the cover that you're kind of concerned about? They're, they're just unruly creatures. Like they just, there's no rules. Like when I go pheasant hunting, there are no rules. Like I am going to, that bird is going to die and <laughs> I'm going to have to get crafty. Like there's no manners. It's, a, it's just, we're no. going after them. Yeah. We're, we're, we're killing, we're not hunting, <laughs> but, but 
you know, like even you look at desert quail, like I, yeah, they run, but man, like it's unfair for a dog that, that tracks a rooster for 150, 300 yards goes on point, And then all of a sudden that rooster flies flushes at another 400 yards. Yeah. It's like, man, that's, that's, that's tough. But like the desert quail, I honestly thought they behaved pretty well. I mean, yeah, they ran. I don't think it ran any more than a pheasant. I think they ran less than a pheasant. And they, you know, a, a dog, and granted, a dog that's good at it will be able to put enough pressure to get them to hold. But um, where a late season pheasant might just flush because they want to, yeah. and you slam our door. Like, I didn't feel like that was the case with desert quail. But, um, so, anyways, like back to your original question, like, I think. I'm going to put this puppy on almost everything just because I think, again, like we talked about, like the, the most, you know, the most birds you can get your dog on, the better it's going to be, you know, there's some caveats there, but um, many birds in many different situations. I, I mean, I think that's why I might not have like Amos. He's, he's, he's not the best dog for sure, but I, I'm able to put him in enough – I'm able to get him enough contacts that, you know, that probably – that probably um, probably helps versus just pure genetics, right? So yeah. it's, it's contacts at the end of the day. Like my dog could be working – you know, my dog could be the same as a eight-year-old Finnish dog because he saw – a thousand contacts last year where this other dog might have only seen a thousand in its life. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, there so, are some dogs that I've seen to where it's just like they, they have no business being as good a dog as, as their genetics would imply, but yeah. just the opportunity and, and good handling and good training. That's why yeah. I'm, I'm such an advocate for proper training and at least just trying to get better with every single dog, because I've seen some dogs to where it's just like, you have no business being as good as you are right now. (laughs) And, and and there are some handlers out there to where it's just like, you deserve the pat on the back. And, and conversely, you know, there's plenty of people that have ruined plenty of dogs by doing things wrong. So, you know, people that say that dog training doesn't matter. It's like, just point to those examples. It does. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it is a true reflection of who you are. And some dogs turn out exactly what they should be, right? Yeah. But uh, it's interesting that that you had the that you would say that the desert quail ran less than pheasants. I had the opposite, at least with gambles. Scales, I got them to play ball. I love scales, man. Yeah, that, that that was that, that's when I was. I guess I was talking about them mostly because I enjoyed that. Like that was that was super fun. Yeah, scales were awesome. I went down there for better or worse, like I, I just anticipated having, I was projecting gambles to be my favorite followed mm-hmm. by Merns, then scales. And it's like flip that completely upside down. And that's what I left with to where scales were just f- so much fun. They played ball, they ran, they were challenging, but they weren't just on bicycles riding around like gambles, flipping you the bird. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And it really depended on where, like where you ended up hunting them. Like, we chased after some gambles and like some creosote flats where it's yep. just dirt and like some, some, that's what I was in. <laughs> dude. Like we, we did that for one morning and I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm like, we could do this and yeah, shoot like two or three birds, but like, this is, this is pretty futile. Yeah. 
it, it was it was almost like dove hunting to some extent. It's like yeah. very early in the morning. We got a couple coveys to play ball. We got we got some points, but then after that, it was more or less just dove hunting. It's just like they would just you you would eventually flush them, shoot them, and then the dog would go retrieve them. And it's like it was fun. Don't get me wrong, but you know when I got into the scale quail, I'm like, all right, this this is what I came down here for. Yeah, uh, yeah. My my thoughts example exactly. We did hunt them in some like in some better washes with more cover. Mm-hmm. And it was like that made a world of difference, right? But but when they have that blank canvas in front of them, it's like, yeah, they, they, that's what they do. They're they're runners. Yeah. They're gonna run. Yeah. So that's but, awesome. yeah, scalies were freaking. I excited to go back and chase them. Yeah. Well, do you have one trip on the uh, on the books that you're just salivating to get to right now, or is it pretty much all of them are kind of running together? Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 really excited to grouse hunt this year just because we've had a a ridiculous carryover, like more birds in the spring than I've seen in a while, than a lot of people have seen in a while, uh, and then you know this right now that end of May, early June, this is when like the rubber meets the road, birds are hatching. Um, it's really dry here, like we could probably use a little bit of rain, but what you don't want it's just like a deluge right now so fingers crossed for a ridiculous gross here but um really the the trip i'm looking forward to is i'm going to go up to go up to canada and chase huns heck yeah and i you know i work with some waterfall folks and, and know some people that that have places up there and they're like oh yeah we go walk fence lines and we'll move like 17 18 coveys of huns like just walking fence lines with no dogs so it's, it's like, all it's almost cheating with dogs then. <laughs> yeah. Like, man, like this is and granted it's it's there's a lot more like that goes into it. You're going to Canada and whatnot, but kind of the kind of the new frontier for for bird hunting. So yeah. there's just so much opportunity. Right. So I that's the one trip I'm looking forward to the the most. Awesome. How about you? What do you got? You got anything on the books? Man, so far right now I'm supposed to be going to Colorado in September. We're going to try some ptarmigan and blue grouse, which I know next to nothing of either, but that's part of the fun for me and then after that I'm headed north somewhere. I I haven't really mapped out my loop yet, but it's uh there's a few places it'll come in, but but Honestly, it, as strange as it sounds, I'm kind of looking forward to sticking around home and, and hunting yeah. around home a little bit more. It's it's southern grouse. It's they're unicorns, but they are out there. And uh, as as strange as it sounds, I kind of missed hunting them. I missed chasing them last year. Uh, I did it a few times, but just not nearly as much when I had the opportunity to go travel and do cool stuff. Montana, yeah. Arizona. It's like, well, I'm gonna go take those opportunities. But after the season, I, I really felt like I missed out on a big part of my normal hunting season, if that makes any sense at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might hear, you know, down here, if you get one flush a day or even really one flush a week, it's it's a it's a good week. And uh, you, people might hear that and be like, you're crazy, but home is home, I guess. And, and, yeah. it, and yeah. it, it does make it to where when you are successful, the, it, it just means that much more, right? Oh, hundred percent. It's all about perspective too, right? Like, to be honest, like if I, like if, if it was one, like growing up, like, yeah, like we're moving 30, 40, 50 birds a day. God. It's like for me to come down and do that, I'd be like, 
love you, dude, but <laughs> you, <laughs> you come up a lot with me. Yeah, it's, so, it, yeah, like you grew up doing it. Like that's the culture. That's yeah, yeah. I am. I totally respect that. And, and it's hilarious, you know. So many people invite me to to go places. I'm very fortunate in that, and I tell all of them, like, don't threaten me with a good time. If you invite me, mm-hmm. don't be surprised when I show up on your doorstep. But. Yep. I've extended the invitation out to everybody and I don't fault them, but nobody's taking me up on it to come down here and, and I get it. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, but yeah, man, there, there's a few gluttons for punishment left down here in the South. And, uh, it, it's again, you know, it's, it's a thing to celebrate. Like even people that you don't really know when they bag a bird and they get to put it up on Facebook and, and you know what goes into getting that bird down here. It's just, I mean, I've made truly made friends that way just by like, dude, that's, that's an accomplishment right there. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're in the fight together. It's, it's not, it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see, trust me, I can see the, the allure of it. Um, do you get much of a woodcock migration through you? Usually we do. Last year, not so much. Now, granted, uh, take it with a grain of salt. I was on the road a lot more than normal. Yeah. So, I, but here in my backyard, that's kind of my measuring stick. I've got yeah. an old abandoned plant nursery back behind me. In the past few years, I'm I'm allowed to run my dogs on them. I don't shoot the birds, but I just use them for training. And yeah. the first two years, I flushed over a hundred birds. It just just running dogs on them. This past year, I don't think I got to fifteen. And, and it's like, I, I did run less back there, but not that much less, but I don't think it was a population issue. I just, we had a very funky winter migration to where it's like, it was warm than cold. And I think it was just, they were bouncing all over the place. And I think they just kind of skipped Tennessee, uh, because I heard that the people down South Louisiana and everything, they had the typical, you know, flights that they normally expect. So I think they just kind of skipped over me this past year. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that totally makes sense. That was like up here with our late winter. Like, there were birds. There were coming back this spring. There were, like, there was still three feet of snow, but you'd get these open patches mm-hmm. on the ground. We ran one day, and it was like I don't know, moved like forty or fifty woodcock. And then a week later, when it was like okay, this should be really good, all the birds were gone. They had all moved up north, and were doing the same thing. So, yeah, I mean. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Now the the one bird I got introduced last year was uh, snipe hunting. I'm gonna be doing more of that. That's uh, that's a lot of fun. I mean, not to discount woodcock or anything, but you know, woodcock. I love woodcock. I mean, they're I think they're they're just really neat birds. But snipe, that was a blast. And when and you can actually get dog work on them. And as long as that was there, that's why I never really tried it before is I was always told, you know, you, you're not going to get dog work on yeah. them. And, uh, a buddy of mine, Jim with the bird dog society, he invited me down and, and, uh, his, his poodle pointer ha- has it dialed in. And, uh, and did you run your dogs on them? I did. Rachel came out of the gate. She did great. Uh, pointed them right out of the truck. No big deal. She, she, <laughs> the only wild bird she's ever caught in her mouth was a rail. We got the the first rail. She pointed, we go up, it flushes, she snags it. I have it on video. I need to send it to you. Uh, so like that was cool. So she did great. Lucy, my Munsty, she was catching on at by the end of the walk. Uh, yeah. It was a bit of a learning curve for her because you're essentially hunting a flooded quail field. Just picture that. Whatever you're hunting Bob White's in, flood it, and there's your snipe. 
And uh, so it kind of took her a minute to be like, are we duck hunting? Are we snipe hunting? Like, what are we doing? And it took a couple birds to get up to shoot before she finally started going out and searching. And, and I feel like if I, if, if I had a couple more hours out there, I think she would uh, kind of yeah. piece it together, but it, it was, it was a slow learning curve for her. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Cause it's like, I've seen my dogs run by countless snipe, like whether it's on even like even in the grouse woods, like on trails and they'll just yeah get through or, or like on the edge of a swamp and like they get up and it might as well be a Tweety bird. So it'd be <laughs> interesting to like, yeah, to how, like how you back that up and say, no, 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 we're going to hunt these now. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so you know, you know how it is. The dogs that, that find feathers, they're going to find feathers. And all they need to know is that, Hey, we're targeting that today. So whether it's another dog pointing it and then you make them back it and they see that you shoot it. Most dogs, I think come, come through fairly quickly, uh, as long as there's enough birds, but man, you, you want to talk about a lot of action. We, we saw a lot of birds within one day. I mean, it was, I mean, it was like 50 something flushes within one day. And, uh, And, and I mean, again, you're working a flooded field, so you're going to be in, you know, hip boots, rubber boots, whatever. So it's not the most comfortable walking, what we're probably typically used to, but, yeah. uh, it, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and huh. I th- yeah, you, you, we'll, we'll have to have you down for that. Maybe that'll be enough intrigue to get you down South. Oh yeah. That's, <laughs> that's super interesting. I yeah. love it. Yep. Well, man, I, I appreciate you coming on. It was cool catching up with you and learning more about the cover dog trials. I know we talked about at some point later this summer, we'll circle back and do some kind of map scouting and Onyx talk and stuff like that as season gets closer. But this was a lot of fun, you know, kind of scratched my itch or my curiosity when it comes to these cover dog trials. Well, come on up. Let's do it. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ben Brannigan talking puppies and cover dog trials and all that fun stuff. This episode was actually presented by Standing Stone Supply, DT Systems, Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. It was a lot of fun kind of getting to know Ben a little bit better as, as we kind of talked about in the episode. You know, we kind of know each other, but we don't know each other. We've kind of circled around each other and and obviously have a lot of uh, similar connections and, and networking in this. But, you know, one thing that I kind of enjoy enjoyed getting to know a little bit more about Ben, uh, aside from just following along along on social media, is how active he stays with, with his dogs and traveling, whether that's hunting or trialing, which we kind of spoke a lot about in detail on this episode. It's just, uh, you know, he, he got into this, he has the dogs and he goes and chases fun. He has fun with the dogs. And at the end of the day, that's what all this stuff is supposed to be about is trying to just enjoy our dogs and have fun, whatever that, that means for you, whether that's just hunting, whether that's just testing, whether that's just trialing or all the above, you know, I, I speak about my uh, approach on this on the podcast where I kind of I don't really focus on any one thing if I did I'd probably be a much better you know handler in any one of those venues but I just don't I I, I truly enjoy 
the information and opportunity in a lot of different areas when it comes to gun dogs. And you know what? I may never be the best at any one thing because of that, but that's that's generally how I like to have fun with these dogs is exploring and learning new stuff from everybody. But the cover dog trials is something that really kind of gets my imagination going because it's on wild birds. It is, you know, we talk about trials and even hunt tests to where we're trying to simulate the hunting situation as close as possible to an actual hunt. Well, when you do the cover dog trials and wild bird trials, to me, that it doesn't get any closer to that because you're not trying to set it up in the middle of a field or anything like that. It truly is hunting. You're just not shooting the bird at the end of it. So there, there's something added to the dogs or the handlers that are successful in that field in the cover dog trials because to me it, it embodies everything that we're supposed to be after whether we're hunt testing or trialing uh, regardless of which venue you, you're in but that's just my take hopefully you kind of enjoyed it and uh, I wanted to hop on here and just kind of remind everybody as, as we do some housekeeping as we wrap this sucker up is Standing Stone Supply Ethan offered up a promo code for anybody that's potentially interested in the DT Super Pro uh, dummy launcher the code is gdiy launch it is good through the end of july so if you listen to last week's episode with jordan horak from cato outdoors he kind of went over all the all the tips and tricks and his knowledge as as he uses the dummy launcher he even says in the episode that you know outside of his place boards and in the cato board specifically uh he he probably trains with the dummy launcher more than anything else and and he has a couple different drills and setups that he likes to do and we actually this was uh that that episode with jordan was the first episode that I put up on YouTube on our YouTube channel under Gundog It Yourself to where it's the same actual podcast episode, but there's a few short clips and, uh, and just visualizations of the drills and setups as he describes them in the episode. So if you think there's a value to do for that, then go check that out and just kind of giving you guys a heads up. The next episode coming out, the 200th episode of GDIY, it's kind of weird weird and crazy to say that we're hitting 200 full-length episodes uh, on the next one, but it's true. And it, I have another YouTube video coming out with that, and I think that you guys are really going to enjoy that one. It's kind of a, uh, a growing and popular uh, popularity topic with a very popular guest. So uh, stay tuned for that. If you haven't hit subscribe on YouTube yet, I highly encourage you to do that so you don't miss it. But that episode will also include some uh, B-roll as well as clips in in kind of showing you guys what we're actually referencing in the episodes. And, and I don't know how many episodes I'm going to be able to do like this on YouTube, but I'm just trying to, uh, uh, if you've listened to the podcast for any duration, you kind of understand that I try and do things a little different and hopefully provide some value to you guys. And so as you're listening to the episode, I get told all the time that it would help if you guys could see it or visualize what people are talking about. Well, I am trying to do that on YouTube, but again, I, d I don't know how many episodes I'm going to be able to do in this format, but it is something I am playing around with and something that if I am able to uh, and have the resources to do more 
in that regard. I would love to even do more episodes in person and, and really dive deeper on these topics with all these people that know better. But to do that, you know, we need your support. So if you find value in the in this uh, podcast, if you think something like that or a format on the YouTube podcast would uh, – benefit you or you would be interested, then by all means, go sign up for Patreon under patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself. It's just like buying us a beer. It's uh, We have bonus episodes. I do the bonus monthly check-in with Nick Larson over at the Birdshot Podcast, as well as some giveaways like the Onyx Elite Membership giveaways uh, that I do at the end of each month now. And, uh, you know, we have a couple Yukonuba codes. We have a couple discount codes. You know, nothing nothing that's life-altering or changing, but just something that we can kind of give back and thanks for your guys' support on the podcast. With all that being said, again, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for hitting play, and uh, we'll check back on the next episode of GDIY. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.